Good morning. The reading today is from the book of John, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. He was not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus, too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Book of John. Thank you, uh, Lynn, for reading that for us. Uh, if you don't know Lynn, she's amazing. She's, all, she's absolutely awesome. We love Lynn. We love her so much. And so, hey, if you don't know me, let me introduce myself. My name is Joe. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I've uh, been on staff for, I don't know, four and a half, five years, something like that. My wife and I, Karen, we've been attending for eight, ten-ish years. I'm real fast and loose with details when it comes to, comes to timelines. I think it's a gifting of the pastor. You just kind of, sort of. That's what we do. So, But hey, we are continuing our series today of messages where we're looking at seven stories uh, from Jesus uh, that give us an insight of what was important to Jesus. Now, of course, there are way, way more than when seven things, but we are, are looking at, at just these seven. And so far, here's the things that we've talked about when we are talking about uh, the Jesus way, that we need to confront religion, that we need to be a people that bless children, that we need to learn how to eat with sinners. We need to take time to pray and to rest. We need to be a people that build the church. And then uh, last week, uh, our pastor, he talked about making disciples. And he t said how we make disciples is we spend time with them so that they may see Jesus in us and that they may become like Jesus as well. And so we're doing this series, The Jesus Way, because uh, of this. If it was important to Jesus, we want it to be important to us. And so you could say that these seven ways are kind of like the heart of, of Christianity. These seven ways that ordinary people like myself and like you can be empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit to live a life as best that they can to be like Jesus and so uh, the seventh message and the final message of our series today, The Jesus Way, today we're talking about serving the poor. We're talking about serving the poor. So I have a question for you. Who's poor? 
Who are the poor anyway? What does it mean to be poor? In a report from um, 2018 about global wealth, um, to be in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the whole world, you need about 93,000 U.S. dollars. So if you sold everything you had or took the value of your house and you had about $93,000, you would be in the top 10% of the whole world. Wow. So, okay, cool. So the threshold of being the most richest people in the world is not, not that high. But what does it mean to be the poorest people in the world? Well, Karen and I, my wife, we, we, both, we both work and we have full-time jobs and we do our best to be smart with our, our money. And we have a household of almost three teenagers. Lenny's almost, almost there. But, man, there are times between food and clothing and responsibility to school and life that a house note that can make me feel poor. You know, you go to Lowe's and Home Depot and just walk down the lumber aisle. Makes you feel makes you feel poor. I don't know about you, but every time I pull out a Costco, Kroger, or any gas station, I feel really poor. I feel super poor. Y'all seen my truck, about 11 miles of the gallon. But honestly, most people in the room today, I think you could say this, and I'd say this, is that we're blessed that we're blessed. We could be doing better, but as Dave Ramsey said, I'm doing better than I deserve, right? And, but there are so many people in our nations, our cities, and, and in our neighborhoods that live on this like razor-thin margin between making ends meet and having a financial disaster and experiencing a hardship beyond belief. So may you ask, hey, pastor, what do we do? How do we serve the poor? How do we serve them? Do we take our emergency fund that Dave Ramsey so talks about and just empty our bank account and give it to people in need? Is that that how we we serve the poor? I don't know. Is it instead of a date night or a movie night with your your spouse, you, you take that little bit of money and you give it to a local food bank to ensure that there's healthy food uh, for neighbors in need. Do you serve the poor by going without some simple luxury? Is that how you're called to the poor? What about the guest bedroom? Or maybe you're blessed enough to have an extra car in your driveway. Are you supposed to move somebody in? I know for me and my wife, this is a very specific example. My truck, it, it needed some work, and we just so happened to be at some friend's house, and my buddy overheard me talking to my mechanic, and he said, just borrow a car. Like, we have an extra one down, down at the bottom of the, the hill at the house. You can borrow it. I didn't think he thought it was going to be five and a half weeks later that I would return his car. A trip to Nashville and an oil change is what I did while I had his car. But, but you know what? There are a lot of people in our towns and in our cities and close to you that don't have this kind of friendship or social network to where the thought of losing a car for five weeks, that they have someone that could give it to them. They just say, hey, take it. Don't even worry about it. Just bring it back whenever. But it's those things right there that could cause a compounding crisis, that could lead to untold, untold things as homelessness or, or, or even worse. So how do we serve the poor? Is it keeping extra socks and water bottles and hygiene projects, uh, products in, in your car and handing them out? Is that how you serve the poor? Is that how you're called to the poor? I don't know. I'm not sure how you're called to serve the poor. But what I am sure about is this is that we need to have a sensitivity. We need to have an availability, a margin to meet the needs of those that are less fortunate. And that's that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. As as followers of Jesus, this is how we are called to serve 
the port. Eugene Peterson, uh, we, we quote him a lot. We, we love the way that he took the words of the Bible and kind of put it into a story form. He took the words of John, uh, Jesus' closest disciple. Uh, John so boldly said that I'm Jesus' beloved. Like, I'm his whoa best friend. And so G, uh, Eugene Peterson took these words from John 1, 14 in the Message Bible, and it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory in his own eyes. This one-of-a-kind glory, like the Father, the Son, generous inside and out from start to finish. Now, I know this from, from moving a few times in my life over the years. When you move uh, to a new neighborhood or, or a new place, it, it, it causes things to get shooken up. you got to get your bearings. you got to figure out what's going on. Think about that. Jesus, God, came as one of us and moved into our neighborhood. The creator of all things, the maker of heavens and earth, the ones that restored, uh, restored order from, from chaos. He brings light into the darkest of places. He moved into our neighborhood. Jesus came, and he shook things up. Jesus came, and he shook things up. I don't know about you, but when I think about the qualities of a good neighbor, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking somewhere between Mr. Rogers and an overzealous HOA president. Somewhere between these two is where I want my neighbor to be. I know for me, I think, well, they want to be friendly. I don't want them to park their car in the grass. I want them to keep their music down, and I really want them to have their kids stop jumping over my fence without asking. Like, other than that, like, that's what I'm really looking for in good, in good neighbors. But what John's experience was, was this. The Apostle John would say that after three years of living with Jesus, he was convinced that his friend was more than just a good neighbor. That his friend came to be a teacher, a rabbi, a good man. In fact, Jesus came as God. He was sent to be here to live as a man. Some supernatural way, Jesus, as the Son of God, came to live among us ordinary people. But why would God do this? Why would God ask Jesus to come and be a part of what's happening here on earth, to live as a man, to be a neighbor? It's been put like this. Jesus came to take the guesswork out of God. Jesus came to take the guesswork out of God. While on earth, Jesus demonstrated what God looked like. He came to teach us a new way of life and to give us a way to God. See, the closest that we will ever see in knowing what God is like is by getting close to Jesus. So maybe you're in the room today because you, your family or friends, they invited you. Maybe you're in the room today because you grew up in a religious home and, and life has kind of been kicking your tail, and, but your faith has been on the back burner and maybe you're hoping to restore something that you once knew. Or maybe you're in this room today sitting here like I am wishing the lights weren't so bright because you feel like everybody's looking at you and they're wondering why you're really here. Whatever brought you here today, whatever has brought you here today, I want you to know these things about Jesus. Have you ever heard someone say God is love? That God loves everybody and everybody matters to God? All of these things, these ideals, they are uniquely Christian. Jesus was the one that in, in do, introduced these ideals to the world. When we think about our modern culture, we think about our neighbors, we think about people that we know were genuinely compassionate and kind people, but why? It's because the, the, the nation that we live in was founded on the New Testament teachings of Jesus. 
when you meet someone who's rude or degrading to other people or just nasty, you find that weird. I know I do. And we do that because of Jesus. We do that because of Jesus, because he came to teach us a new way of life. And so many people around you adopted that way, and it's become part of our our polite culture. But we lose the message of Christ in that politeness. But when we we experience rudeness and we experience offense, we experience something we're not, oh, that isn't right. Well, the reason you feel that offense is because we've been taught a new way, a new way to live. See, you could put it this way. Jesus came so that every person can experience the thought of dignity. Jesus came that everybody could experience the thought of dignity. That there is this innate honor and respect for every, for every human life. Before Jesus came, and, and honestly, still now, there are societies around the world that look at everyone as less than. We put people down. Even in our, we have a tragic history, shared human history, of people being bought and sold and enslaved. People's lives looked at with absolutely no value. If you'd like an experience what life was like before Jesus came, watch the movie like 300. Watch the movie like The Gladiator. It was like intense. It was super, super rough. But you know, now that Jesus has came and we're waiting for his impending return, we still feel the pains of, of people disrespecting people, people's dignity being robbed, other people, human beings being imprisoned for economic gains for others. These, these horrendous acts, they stain the shared history of mankind. See, because before Jesus, there was no dignity. Wealth and status determined your value. If you didn't have anything, you had no worth, but not with Jesus. See, when Jesus moved into the neighborhood, he, he left heaven and he came to earth to become our neighbor. He bought a new idea. Our worth and value come from God, not from man. I love how Pastor Andy Stanley puts it. He says, everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. I love that. If you know God, then you know how God loves people. You don't need to know if they know God or not because you know God and you know how God would treat them, Right? So no matter if they care about God or not, God cares about them. And that's how we should be. No matter if they care about God or not, we should care about them. So the question is to you is that, so who does God value? Everybody. The question is, is who's valuable to you? Who is valuable to you? So if we want to be more like Jesus, we must do what Jesus did. So I want to take now and transition as we we look at our text today. I was just thinking about it, and I'm so excited that we are talking about in history what happened yesterday. If it's Palm Sunday, this happened the day before on the Saturday, where we, are, we find Jesus and some of his disciples in the house of a man he raised back to life. They're hanging out at a dead guy's house, and they're having this little meal and this, this little powwow, and, this is, and the next day they're going to go, and people are going to say, praise God, you've come to save us. They're going to say things like, like Hosanna. So people in the city that are going to see that and people in this room, they recognize Jesus. But yet, there's other people that don't recognize Jesus. And so we're going to look at that. In the text, we see this, but before I say that, have you ever heard this old adage, no good deed goes unpunished? Now, I don't know if it's always true or not, but people always, they often question your deeds and your motives. And that was true of what happened with Mary. We, we read that Judas challenges Mary in the scriptures. 
she challenges by saying this, that perfume was worth a year's wages. You should, it should have been sold for the, and it should have been sold in the money given to the poor. Jesus, uh, Mo, uh, sorry, uh, Judas right here, he, he's being one of these people that always has money on his mind. What, this is, this is, you can tell what's most important. He misses the point of Mary's worship and sees what it costs. So he, he's, this is what he's thinking about. He's got this aspect of how much is it? What are we doing with it? What is it worth? Like this is his, men, this is his mentality. Judas, he's like, Mo, Mary, what are, you, what are you doing? We could have helped so many people with the value of that perfume. And you, you've wasted it. You've wasted it. You've wasted its value. Why would you do it? What a champion for the poor people Judas is, right? He's so concerned because he's got all this money. That's not true. Judas's motives were, were not pure in this moment. He, he wasn't defending the poor with the sell the perfume. It's true because you can look at it in John 16. It says, he, it, it, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole money from himself. See, G, uh, see Judas wasn't questioning Mary because of the, the sale of perfume because he wanted to bless the poor or he wanted, he wanted to do a great thing for God. No, he had his own motives in mind. What about us? What about you? What about me? What about our motives? Are our motives always pure? Do we always think about, man, what would God have me do in this moment? Is this exactly what God would want me to do? Or do sometimes, do our motives get in the way? I've heard it said like this, that at some times and at all times, we can do the right things for the wrong reason. We can do the right things for the wrong reasons. Judas, his loyalty wasn't to Jesus. You could tell by the reaction that he had to Mary's worship. It was evident because he, he was offended. He was offended. Judas wasn't interested in following and worshiping Jesus in the moment. But let's look at the other side of this, this interaction. Let's, let's look at uh, Mary for a moment. What upset, Mary, what, what upset Judas so much with what Mary was doing? Her devotion. She was dedicated to Jesus. It offended Judas so much because he just, all he could do was look at the cost. See, Mary, he, she broke the bottle and gave all that she had to Jesus while Judas just wanted to break into the money pouch and to steal from Jesus. See, Judas had this, this false hope that money can just fix anything. If we could just throw a little money at it, if I could just keep the resources and use it the way I see fit, he didn't see that, that Mary deeply loved Jesus. He didn't see the value in the worship. He didn't see that the act of radical worship that Mary performed had value. See, Mary knew Jesus as her, her Savior and knew how to worship him. Judas was critical and questioning missing the fact that the Savior of the world had came. He was skillful. He had talents. He had abilities. He had responsibilities. He was in a place of importance within the disciples. But Judas, he missed the point. Judas, he missed the point. Our lives and our alliances, they have to be fully devoted to Jesus. They have to be fully devoted to building his kingdom. See, also in this, in, this, in this part, this story of, of Mary and of Judas and of Jesus and of this perfume, Jesus, he says something that I, me, I personally wish was not true. How does that sound? As a pastor, I wish Jesus was wrong. As a pastor, I wish that something that came out of Jesus' mouth was not, was not correct. 
But let me read it to you, and I bet you would agree, is that you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What a crushing statement from Jesus. You will always have the poor among you. So when is, when is, when are, when is houselessness going to end? When is, when is uh, hunger going to end? When is, uh, when is the imbalance of power going to end? Jesus says it's not going to happen. Jesus wasn't callously speaking about the poor. All throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus was concerned for the mercy and the care of the poor. It is evident throughout the Gospel. Jesus cared for the poor, the hurting, and the down and out. You think about very specific examples. He went and met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He healed so many sick people. He raised people from the dead. At the Sermon of the Mount, let's talk about what Jesus said about blessed are the poor, blessed those that mourn, blessed those that are hungry, blessed those that are humble. Why are these people blessed? Because they belong to the kingdom of God. And Jesus taught us to serve the least of these while ushering those people into the kingdom of God. Jesus, by meeting their needs, Jesus also introduced them to a, oh, a new way of life. As I was thinking, I was like, how did Jesus serve the poor? How did Jesus serve the poor? Jesus served the poor while creating citizens of heaven. He gave them both. There are many sick, poor, and hurting people. And yes, we, we, we want to love them. But we also have to be like Mary and show them who Jesus is. We have to show them the, that their greatest need is salvation. So again, when I think about how do you serve the poor, what comes to mind when you serve the poor? Is it handing out a few dollars to someone holding a cardboard sign? Is it buying someone groceries? Is it supporting the work of a, a nonprofit? Is it giving to disaster relief efforts? For me, when people say pay it forward and they buy somebody a cup of coffee or they do something through the drive-thru line, what does that even mean? What are, what are we paying forward? I don't know about you, but I know about me, but I know what I deserve, and I don't want to give anybody that. So a cup of coffee and a, hand, and a, and a kind smile, what is inside of that? I, I, I feel like the, the, the intentions of, of good deeds, they make you feel good. They give you the warm and fuzzies. They look charitable. But if they're not rooted in and out of devotion of Jesus, yeah, we're helping the poor, but we're not really serving them. Something is missing. Something is missing. See, as someone who's, whose life has been changed, our motives and our actions have, be, have to be changed as well. If we just give and serve but never allow ourselves to be transformed, then we're doing good deeds, but we're not serving the kingdom. But, but Pastor Joe, we, we, we've raised so much money. We, we, we've given canned food drives. We, we do disaster relief efforts. Our missions budget is going to be the biggest it's ever been, but yet... The poor will always be among us. Things like the eviction rate is as high as ever. Houselessness is as, ever, as high as ever. Because of rising cost of living, uncertainty around food expenses is as high as ever. As a Jesus follower, we're to serve the poor. But we cannot end poverty. But you know what we can do? We can build a family. We can't end poverty, but we can build a family. You know, as I was trying to figure out a synopsis of what I'm trying to say is, is this. The way we serve the poor is meeting people where they are, 
coming alongside them, being a good neighbor, meeting and serving their immediate needs so that they can be introduced to a new way of life, inviting them to become a part of the family of God. That's how we serve the poor. Jesus could have been more straightforward about his devotion to God. Our devotion as Jesus followers needs to be demonstrated and validated through our compassion and love for others. God so loved, right? Our devotion to God is, wasn't just to be, to be demonstrated through songs and, and through sermons and our personal prayers, but our devotion to God, it must be implemented, it must be demonstrated, and it must be authenticated by our generosity and care for others. And so now, I'm going to turn the corner one last time, and I'm going to put up some graphics because that changes things up and re-engages people. So we're going to do this. So we're going to put up a couple graphics. The, the Barnard put out a new study, and, it, and it, talks of, it talks about giving. And when I talk about giving, there are way more ways for people to be generous than just money, okay? And this is, this is my point for showing this. There are more, there are, it is more generous than giving when you serve, right, generosity. So if you look at that, 72% of people would agree that generosity mean more, means more than just money. It can mean things like emotional support, hospitality, serving, or volunteering. 55% agree with that strongly. So 82% of people say you can help poor people, you can be generous more than just writing a check. A large majority of people, 82%, say, that's, say that that is the way that you can help people. The next slide is, a, is the same people they ask pastors, is it better to be more charitable with our money or with our time? 77% of pastors, and if they were to call me, I'd be like, wow, how do you even know I'm a pastor? Two, and how did you get my phone number? And then three, I'm part of the 77%. I'm part of the 77%. Caring for the poor is not to be limited to or relegated to strategic partners and programs. We have those. We do those. However, these, these partners and programs, they, they do magnify what we do have. It multiplies our dollars, and it makes a bigger difference in our community if we try to do it alone. Service to the poor is also not about balanced budgets, although those are important. And it's also definitely not about matching t-shirts on a serve day. That makes us feel good, and it looks good in photos, but serving the poor is so, so much more than that. If we look at those two things, 82% says there's more that you can do to serve people and be generous than just your money. And 77% of pastors would say there's more ways to serve than just giving, but showing up. I instantly thought of Jesus. We serve with our time, and we serve with our bodies. Jesus came to earth in his body. How did Jesus serve people with his body? Ultimately on the cross, but also throughout his daily life, we think about how did Jesus serve the little children? He knelt down. He got next to them, and he, he welcomed them in. How did he serve the woman caught in adultery? By saying nothing. He sat there and just drew in the sand. He met the woman at the well. Hey, that dirty bucket from your well that people say I shouldn't touch, give it to me. I'm going to show you how much. And he drank from that same bucket. Jesus served with our body. So how do we serve the poor? We serve with our body as well. We, we, we show up. We think about God. He spoke the world into existence. He could have spoke an end to poverty. He could have spoke the end to people experiencing hard times. 
But he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to end sin and brokenness in his body. So us as ambassadors of Jesus, we are to reach people with the good news of Jesus with ourselves. So we do what we do so we see lives transformed and changed. And we do it as ambassadors of Jesus, going to reach people with the good news of Christ. I was reading about this, and uh, I, I saw Pope, ben, Pope Benedict XVI said this about the, about the church. The church is to do a couple things. It's to pray, it's to share the gospel, and it's to care for the poor. And I was like, wow, well, we're a united body of, of Christ. We're, we're a church. We're called to kind of do those same things. And I looked at that, and I was like, well, we pray for each other. We just, we, Pastor Katie talked about it in the welcome. Here in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to pray. We're going to pray with each other and come to agree. We also pray with each other. We have an awesome thing, a text message that we do on our church app where we talk about people sick in the hospital and people experiencing uh, hurt and people experiencing loss. And, and we pray. We also go into our small groups each week, and we come into a community. We, we, we huddle around each other, and we, and we take moments to pray for each other. And so we do that. We, we're called to, to share the gospel. When we think about sharing the gospel, how does that happen? Well, just as we worship together, we singing these words back to each other as an edification to ourselves and to the body. Like, this is how we share the gospel. I'm coming here today to not just to tell you these things, but then so that you can go and take these thoughts and take them to the world. And say, man, because Jesus came, I know how to meet your greatest need. When you think about when we ask you to invite people to come to church, we ask you, we just not to fill a big room. What it is, is hopefully to fill heaven. Your invitation may be the first step to inviting someone into the kingdom of heaven. And so as a church, I just want to brag on you for a second, and just call to mind some things that I thought about, the ways that we practically serve the poor. As I'm, as I'm closing, and this is, this is how we serve as Hope City Churches, we serve, we serve the poor. Way before I got here, the finance team had a meeting, and they said, hey, we're going to be a generous church. And so in our budget, every year, we allot a portion of our giving to not touch what happens in the church. It goes out. We give it as church planning. We give it as missions. We give it as local community support. And so we are a generous church that, that supports things like South Louisville Community Ministries for food pantry, for counseling, for medical bills, for bus passes, for help with car repairs, for meeting people's basic needs like providing a warm house and running water. I love the, I love the thought of like helping people before it gets so bad. When we, I was talking one time, and we were thinking, like, what's the greatest way that we can prevent uh, someone experiencing homelessness? It's by keeping them in their house. If we can meet them before they get on the street, if we can meet them before it gets too bad, it's, it's got to be the best way that we can, we can keep people off the street is by keeping them in their homes. We do things like Habitat for Humanity. We, we, we help people by doing essential home repairs. Habitat does a beautiful thing. They train people prospective home buyers to become homeowners. I love the way that they help. We go out and we serve communities by, by, by doing home repairs, but also building houses in community because what we do is, is there's a compound effect of community. When you get people around in an area and they have and they know each other, they get to become and create good neighbors and create sustainable neighborhoods. Convoy of Hope, you've seen it a lot. Unfortunately, we've been experiencing a lot of tragedy, a lot of disasters natural and so we see these updates and we do that but also one other thing we do and I love that we travel internationally to build homes and it's the same reason we partner with Habitat 
when we can put somebody in a house and the generational impact of, a, of Christians coming and saying, God loves you so much that he cares about you and where you live and where you stay, and we want to bless you with this. So much so that when we went three years ago, we went, to, we went to Guatemala, and we went back this past year, the previous house we built three years ago, I walked past that family and didn't recognize them because they had not went from one house but then three houses because they took the first house that we built, leveraged it, turned one into a grocery store, moved three family members over from two different villages, and now they dominated the corner. They had this enterprise. But all of that happened because some Americans jumped on a plane who loved Jesus, went, landed, and built them what you would consider a shed. But it's because of that we met people's needs. But you know what else we did? We weren't just like Judas and used our money. We were like Mary because we got on the plane out of love and devotion for Jesus. And we showed them a life poured out right where they were at. Hey, we love Jesus so much, so we took our time, talent, and treasure, and we came in and we wanted to bless you with that. We wanted to bless you with that. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, uh, Paul, he, he, he talks about a life. Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases it like this. Don't, I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want any of you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. I want you to live a life that's marked with humility and discipline, not with, with fits and starts, but a life steadily poured out for yourselves and for each other in acts of love. And that's the kind of life I want for me. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants for you. A life filled with acts of, of love, poured out, helping to build, grow, and serve our community, empowering and encouraging and equipping people to live a life changed forever by the good news of Jesus. So how do we serve the poor? Let us deserve a life marked by acts of love, poured out. Let radical grace be our license to serve and care for the least of these. This is how we serve the poor. And Jesus is the ultimate piece of certainty for people experiencing uncertainty. It's our charge, as, I, as long as I'm here at Hope City Church and, and, and our leadership team, that we can guarantee you this, that we will provide short-term relief for people from the real-life pains of, of hunger and hardship and compounding circumstances. But it will be our goal to serve the poor so that they, they can receive the long-term life of impacted by the love of Jesus and his people. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and this is how we're going to close. We're going to come, and here in a moment, they're going to bring the elements of communion, where we're going to remember Jesus, how he brought his body to earth, and it was broken, and how his blood poured and covered out every mistake you ever made, so that you could have a life experience living with God. We're also going to have a prayer team come up and pray with you, There'll be an opportunity for people to come up. And I encourage you, if there's anything going on in your life, Jesus said he came that we would experience a life where we had no, heavy, no more heavy burdens. And so a new, lay, a new way of life through not experiencing heavy burdens is be able to, to lay that burden down to God, but also with people so that they, they, they can pray with you and help carry that burden. You're not alone. And so this would be an opportunity to, to pray. And this is also an opportunity to take communion. And so this prayer, I wrote this prayer two weeks ago, and I prayed it at South Louisville Community Ministries at a dinner that we had to celebrate all their work. And I thought it would be fitting for us as a church. It's a call to God to take what we have, to bless it, and then to use it 
so we can go out and we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus. That we would take our efforts and our devotion of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to align our motives, to align our actions, and bless them for the kingdom. So let me pray. God, our lives are so small, O oh Lord. Our vision is so limited. Our hours are so fleeting. Therefore, give us grace and guidance for the journey ahead. You alone, O oh God, by your gracious and life-giving spirit, have the power to knit our imperfect hearts, our weakness, our strengths, our stories, and our gifts together. Unite your people. Multiply our meager offerings, O Lord, that they may might give you glory. May our love and our labor now echo your love and your labors. Let all that we do here in these brief lives, our brief moment to love, in this work that you have called us to do for our community, blossom and foretell of greater joys and glories yet to come. Spirit of God, shape our heart. Spirit of God, guide our hands. Spirit of God, build your kingdom among us. Amen.